this whole message series was, was, I would say, unplanned by me, but planned by the Holy Spirit. And as we were really praying together as a staff and having conversations about the church and, and why people are getting disillusioned with church and their faith, why are people deconstructing from their faith, uh, I was reading in the Word in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, which says this, this is what the whole message series has been built on. When I read this scripture, I said, this is it. And the Holy Spirit told me, he said, it's time to get back to the altar. It's time that the church opened up their altars, and it's time for people to start building altars into their lives. And I said, God, what do you mean by that? And then he took me to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, which says this. Therefore, I urge you, this is Paul, think, think about this strong language that he's using. I urge you, I am urging you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. In other words, God's been so good to us. We sang about his faithfulness this morning. We sang about his goodness. With that in mind, with that in your, in your mind's eye, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. And when I read that, this is your true and pro proper worship, I said, man, have we strayed away from what kind of worship is really pleasing to God? Are, are we really offering to God worship that is true and pleasing? And so as I started to get into the word about what is worship, because I think if we're not careful, we can start you know, forgetting what true worship really is. And it's more than what we just did by singing some songs. Yes, that's absolutely unequivocally part of worship, but it's not all of worship. And so I felt like the Lord said, it's time to go back to the altar. And so he really birthed in me this message series called The Altered Life and what it looks like to live a life of surrender and what it looks like to live a life of worship, what it looks like to offer life to God that is pleasing to him. And so as I did that, and, and this is really cool, I don't know how many of you love the message translation. Eugene Peterson, amazing man of God, pastor, got to personally meet him one time at a, at a little restaurant in Lakeside, and I just thanked him for his service and to God and to the body of Christ. And he wrote this amazing paraphrase of the Bible. I want to read to you Romans verse 12, uh, 1 and 2, actually, because the message Bible kind of lumps some verses together. But, but listen to this. This is, this is really what it means to live an altered life. It says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. How many of you know we can't live an altered life without God helping us? Therefore, if not by the grace, I go, right? I can't do this. In fact, before I ever step up here, I'm in my office. Some of you might be wondering, where's Pastor Lance? Well, I'm getting myself ready because I can't do this without his help. I am completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit's work in my life and his grace, and so are you. And so we can't even have a conversation about living an altered life without remembering it's God who helps us do this. And he says, take, this is, I love this, listen. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, going to school, I'll throw that in for our, for our youth in the house, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. And don't become so adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. In fact, I believe we're in danger of doing just that. 
that, that we're allowing culture to disciple us more than we're allowing the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And, and if we're not careful, we could start following the world more than we're following Jesus. So don't get too well adjusted to the culture that you fit into without even thinking. Instead, don't do that. Do this. Fix your attention on God. Isn't it amazing when you just determine, I'm going to be present. Like even right now, there's a, there's a fight for your attention. There's things you're thinking about. Some of you, you're checking your fantasy football because if you're like me, you got your lineup set, you're excited and you want to see how good some of you may, you know, you might get bored, play Candy Crush, talk to your friend. I don't know, but I know that the enemy wants you distracted. And there's something when you just fix your eyes on Jesus and say, I'm going to be present right now because God, I, I personally believe this and I've had a conviction always, way before I was a pastor, that whenever we come into the presence of God, which we are in right now, everything's on the table. That means anything's possible. Anything can happen. And some of you, you came in this morning and you're feeling dry, you're thirsty, you're hungry for God to do something in your life. Let me tell you that that can happen in the presence of God when we're present with him. If you could put that scripture back up, I'll finish it now. And then I'll talk to you about our next message series, which is really exciting. But fix your attention on God and you'll be what? You'll be changed when you do that. There's something in you that changes. As we behold Jesus, we are transformed from glory to glory. That means from one degree to another, we are, we are becoming more and more like Jesus as we fix our eyes on him, not on the world. Readily recognize what he wants from you. See, when you're present with God, then you could hear his voice. And some of you are like, man, that's for you, Pastor Lance. I don't, I don't hear God. Oh, yeah? Just get alone with him. Just be present with him. Just say, God, here I am. Speak to me. And he will speak to you. He said, and quickly respond to it. In other words, when he tells you something, don't just say, oh, thanks, God. That's a good reminder. No, do something about it. Act on it in faith. Unlike the culture around you, and this is what, if you start following the culture, this is what happens. It starts dragging you down to its level of maturity instead of following God who will pull you up into higher heights. He'll actually pull you into the person that God really created you to be in Christ Jesus. And the world wants to pull you away from that. And so God wants to bring the best out of you. He wants to develop a well-formed maturity inside of you. But here's the tension with that. The tension in that is we're wayward people. We have finicky hearts. And we still have this thing called the flesh that we have to, we have to deal with and, and live in. And so just like the Apostle Paul in chapter 6 of Romans, we, you and I, we feel, if we're going to be honest with each other, we feel this tension every single day when we get up that we want to draw closer to God. We want to worship Him. We want to live an altered life. But there's things that pull on our heart that are vying and fighting for our attention. And so there's this battle for, for our hearts. And what I want to do this morning, actually what God put on my heart to do, is to change things up a little. Because too many times I believe we come to church, we worship, we hear a good message, and then we walk out those doors and just like James would say, 
we forget what we heard. We get a glimpse of what we could be. Like the changes that we want to see happen in our life. And I thought that was interesting. I've entitled the name of this message, The Altered Life. Living, living the Altered Life. And I was thinking about, I don't know how many of you have ever seen a movie where they have an alternative ending. And, and, or the director's cut version. And I always thought that was intriguing because, you know, sometimes we don't like the way movies end. And, you know, it's Hollywood, so they're trying to, you know, the lovers get back together, the hero saves the day, right? Like, that's, that's Hollywood. And sometimes there's a tragic ending, and you're kind of like, wait, no, wait a minute, that's not supposed to happen. Like, they're not supposed to die. You know, this isn't supposed to happen. And and, and you show, they show an alternative ending or the director's cut where they take the ending and they show you what could be with a different ending. And I was thinking about living the altered life. And for a lot of us, we want to change. We want our lives to be different, but we're not willing to give up or offer to God ourselves as a living sacrifice. And, and in doing so, we hold on to our life. And Jesus himself would say, if you want to gain your life, you need to lose it for my sake and for my kingdom. And it's the upside down kingdom and it doesn't make sense to us. How am I going to gain my life by giving it up and giving up the things that, you know, I, I like and really want to do. And, and I want to follow God, but I, I, want, to, I want this sin in my life. I, I like and enjoy doing this, but that thing is dragging you down and is pulling your heart away from God. And so I believe the place that we need to start, there's what we're going to do here in our service today is I'm going to preach to you because I believe the altar represents a place where when we offer ourselves to God, that he takes our life and he changes us. Living an altered life means that your life gets altered in the process. That as you give to God, God changes you little by little. And I don't know about you, but I want to live an altered life. Like, I don't want to just hear a good message, hear a good word, say yes and amen and leave. So what we're going to do is I've picked three different altars. And I'm going to preach a little bit on them. And then the worship team's going to lead us in a song. And we have three different responses for you to activate the word in your life and for you to come to the altar. And so I know this might be a little, you know, different for some of you. And maybe you're new here at Hope Church and you're like, wow, this is really different. You know, I'm used to going to church and do three songs and a half hour message and, and I get to go to lunch, you know. And I just say, hey, that's not this church. I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize. You came to the wrong place. <laughs> but what God put on my heart for us to do is to not only hear it, but encounter him. You see, the altar is a place of encounter. It's a place where people were changed. If you read about, and I studied the different places where God met people and their lives were marked, they're changed forever. In fact, this is my greatest prayer for my children. When I pray for them, I pray every day, God, mark them. Let them have this moment where they encounter you and they never forget that moment. Like it marks you. You're changed, like that's a stake in the ground. I would call it a stake in the ground moment. I would call it an altar moment where you take that moment and you use that moment to, to build your life around. And I could look back over the course of my life just like you can. 
And I want to encourage you to even start thinking about all the times we sang about the promises of God. We sang about how, how great he is and how faithful he is. When I think about that, I think about the goodness of God in my life. And I think about the fact that I'm even here 10 years when the enemy tried to take me out more than once. And all the things that you go through as a pastor, and it's because he wants to take you out and he wants to take you out too. And he starts with the heart. He knows if he could get your heart and if he could just get in your heart and he could kind of pull you away from God little by little. And it starts subtly. You don't even hardly recognize it. It's just one compromise here, give in to this here, one sin here, sin again here. And then your heart starts to get hardened. And over time, you become hardened to the very presence of God. So you'll be in a service like this. Other people will be worshiping their guts out enjoying the presence of God, getting touched by God, and you're like, man, I, I'd like to experience God like that. And can I tell you why? It's because we haven't come to the first altar. The first altar is a place of consecration. And some of you, that may be a really big word that you're like, man, I, you lost me there, Pastor. I have no idea what, what that means. Well, let me tell you what it means. Consecration simply means setting yourself apart for God. It means that you have cleansed your life. You have taken anything that is getting in your heart and getting in the way of you truly worshiping God and living an altered life, living a surrendered life, living a life where you continually put your life in front of God and offer it to him in your everyday, going to work, going to sleep, going to school, in the neighborhood, outside of the neighborhood, coming to the church. It's actually living a life of integrity. And a lot of us, especially men, we wanna live that way, but the only way you live that way, integrity is, is made up of uh, a word, in, integer, which is, is whole numbers. It's a mathematical term. But what it, what it means is that you live a whole life. Like your life isn't separated to, when I come to church, I worship God, and, and I have clean language, you know, I say all the right things, look the right way, but then I leave and I start cussing and I, I go to the bar on Friday night and you know what, I, I look at things on the internet and I kind of have that part of my life and I like it and nobody knows about it. But it's messing me up because when I come to church, I feel guilty and shameful and I feel like I can't really worship God. And the enemy uses it over your life and my life, just like he uses some of you, maybe that's not you. But there are things from your past that the enemy uses to keep you in bondage. Some of us, we've gone through horrific things. You've been abused. There's been accidents and there's, there's things that people have said to you that have hurt you, that have wounded you, all because the enemy knows if he could take out your heart, he can keep you from really becoming the person that God has called you to be. That's why the writer of Proverbs would say this in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, above all else, hear that, above all else. In other words, make this the highest priority in your life. Guard your heart for everything that you do flows from it. Right? Jesus would even say, hey, these people, they worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Everything you do flows out of the heart. What defiles a man isn't what goes in the mouth, it's what comes out, because what comes out is out of his heart. And so I would say it like this, the life that we're living is out of the heart. 
And there's the problem. For some of us, the things that are in our heart are not good. We've allowed things to contaminate and get in the way of living a fully surrendered life of worship to Jesus. And this is not a new problem. This problem goes back all the way to the beginning. In fact, if you look at the Old Testament, it's this, it's, it's wonderful. I love the Bible, but it's predictable. And here's the prediction. God blesses his people. They live in God's favor and blessing and his hand of protection is on them. And then they get a little too comfortable and they enjoy their life, which God wants them to, but then they start enjoying it a little too much and they start liking the world and the things of the world a little too much and they start following other gods until, and in the beginning, it's just a little bit, it's just a dabble, it's just, hey, this isn't gonna hurt me, until it becomes a foothold in their heart and starts to draw them away from God and then it becomes an idol. And then God says, hey, if that's what you wanna worship, I'll take my hand of blessing and favor and protection off your life. You go and worship who you want to. And that ultimately leads to destruction. And then they would cry out to God and God in his grace and his love and his mercy would sovereignly pull them out of bondage once again and love them and bless them. And then they would praise God for a season and love him until they didn't. And they'd start worshiping other gods and you see the cycle happen again and again and again. And you could see the same cycle happen in your life and my life if we're not careful. That's why God himself reminds them in Deuteronomy chapter 11, 16. He says, hey, I've got some promises for you. I'm trying to lead you into those promises. Can I tell you something? God's got some amazing promises for you. But if we stay stuck wandering around in the wilderness following other gods, that's exactly where we end up. Pitching a tent in the desert, always looking for just a little, little bit of water to get us through, a little bit of manna, but never entering in the promises of God. I don't know about you, but I want the fullness of all that God has for me and my family and for my church and for you and for your family and for your destiny and for generations beyond you. He says this, be careful. In other words, there's danger in where you're at spiritually. And I think that's a word for some of us here today. Like, hey, you're treading on dangerous ground. Be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. See, God knows our hearts are finicky and he's a jealous God. He wants all of us but he warns them and yet we are finicky people i love what c.s lewis says he says this human history is the long and terrible story of man trying to find something other than god which will make him happy and that's a lot of our stories because we've bought into the lies of the enemy has tricked us into believing man if we'll just if we'll just follow the world's ways that's why I want to help you with that. In fact, next week, I, I want you to commit to come for this whole message series that we're going to start on God and culture. It's been something that's been stirring in me for a while now as I'm really seeing the American church bend more to culture. Man, it just, it just, there's something in me that just gets fired up when I hear about churches accepting sin as normal and, and, and diluting the word of God 
and even trying to change the word of God. And we are warned about this in the Bible that in the end times, look out for false prophets and people that appear good and churches that appear good. That's why you shouldn't even take my word for it. When I preach to you, I hope that you go home and study the scriptures. And if you find something that I'm often that you come to me, say, hey, Pastor Lads, I love you. But when you said this, what did you mean? Because when I read the Bible, it's this. I need that correction. I'm so grateful for an amazing eldership team that they'll, they'll call me on the carpet if I do that. But I, I love the word of God. But I think for too many of us, we've bought into the lies of this world. And when I look at scripture, I, I see three main areas, and this is consistent through scripture, where we allow things to get in our hearts and it contaminates our worship. And those three things are, are this, pleasure, possessions, and pride. And if you notice, each week in this message series, we've hit on one of these three areas. In fact, God has an antithesis for not falling into the trap of worshiping those things, worshiping my money, worshiping my possessions. And a lot of us, we don't look at it that way. Like, man, Pastor Lance, we don't have gods like in the Bible. Oh yeah, I would beg to differ. Because if we're gonna be honest with each other, when it comes time to give, and it's hard to write that check or go online and, and give that amount, it's a little heart check. Where's my heart? Do I really trust God? Is he first in my life, even in my finances? Is he first in my family? Is he first in my marriage? Am I really worshiping him, not just when I go to church, but even when I'm at work? What I do for work is worship. When you look at it from the Bible's perspective. And so those three areas, pleasure, possessions, and pride, they're the big three. And it's all over the Bible. And so there's a lot of them that I could tell you, but I just want to show you, it goes all the way back to the beginning. Look at Genesis chapter three, verse six. When the woman, speaking of Eve, saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, that's, that's pleasure. Like, think about it. She wasn't hungry. God gave her all the trees in the garden and said, you can have any of them except this one. Why is it that we always want the one we can't have? And she said, I want that that apple looks better than some of these trees. And then she says this, it was good for food and it was pleasing to the eye. Her eye saw it and she said, I want it. I want to possess it. And the last one that she saw that it was good for gaining wisdom, that's pride. In fact, that's how the enemy ultimately tricked you. Say, God knows that if you eat of it, you'll become like him. In other words, you'll become your own God. You can make your own decisions. You'll have enough wisdom for your life that you don't need to go to God for wisdom. You don't need to go to the word of God for wisdom. You can be your own little G God and that's where a lot of us live. Instead of living fully following Jesus, we want God to follow us. We're not living an altered life. We're living a, a life with a, a vendor God where you know, when we get in trouble, we come to God. Or when we need something, we come to God. Or want something, we come to God. But we're not living a surrendered life. We're not living a life of worship. Now watch this. The story doesn't end there. Fast forward to Jesus. He's baptized. The Holy Spirit comes on him. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, the tempter, meaning Satan, comes to him and says, if you're the son of God, tax his identity first. That's why there's gender identity. Man, we're gonna get into this new message series, God and culture. We're gonna go through, through things like, what is truth? Can the Bible be trusted? Creation versus evolution. Gender and sexuality identity. Politics in the church. 
hey, I'm going for it. And guess what? I need, I want, I need you. I'm just going to preach the Bible straight up. I'm just warning you. And, and if I step on your toes, please forgive me because I got to stay true. I got to speak the truth in love because I think we need it. And I think we in the church have gotten a little confused because we've been discipled more by the world than we have been by the word of God. And so I'm going to preach to you straight out of the word of God, but we're going to go through some of these. And I want you to invite some of your friends, family members. Maybe there's people you know have walked away from the church. They've deconstructed their faith. They're questioning God. Maybe you know somebody that's an atheist and, and uh, they just might turn to God after hearing, you know, what, what the God has to say about some of this stuff. So it's going to be good. But he always will come at us, the enemy, he, he is the prince of this world. And we live in the world, but the word, word tells us uh, not to live in it, but not be of it, right? And so how do we do that as Christians? This is tricky, right? And a lot of us, we don't know how to navigate through this world. And so we complain about it. We don't like it, but our tendency is let's just hold up in our churches and worship God and stay, sing Kumbaya around the campfire with our Christian friends. Meanwhile, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And we got to wake up. This is our hour. This is our time. And so I'm excited about that. But look at this. Now Jesus, the tempter comes to him. If you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. That, that's his feed your flesh, man. Break your fast. Don't trust God that he's going to sustain you. Take it for yourself. You could make some nice banana bread with some icing on top. It'll just taste so good. Your flesh will love it. Just go for it, man. And then that's pleasure. The second thing he does, he says in the next verse, verse six, he says this, he says, uh, if you can help me out, get that verse up. He says, if you are the son of God, attacks his identity again, throw yourself down for it is written. He even uses scripture. This is how, this is how Satan can even deceive us by twisting scripture. He's a twister. He's not a creator. He's a perverter of the truth. So he'll take scripture and he'll just twist it a little bit and make it a white lie, get us to believe it. And now we'll start believing things like, you know, I could love anyone. God is love, right? That's what the Bible says. And so I can love anything. Oh yeah, we go in there. And then, but listen to me, it isn't to condemn anybody. It's to preach the truth and with the hope that the grace of God leads them to him. Amen. But he says, hey, the angels, this is, this is all about pride right here. This is, hey, Jesus, if you're the son of God, do something spectacular. Show off your power. Jump off the highest tower. Have your, you're just about to crash. People can be, <gasps> and the angels catch you. Man, that'd be an awesome show. That's a great TikTok reel happening right there. You'll be famous on YouTube. And Jesus doesn't buy into it. The last thing he does Verse 8 and 9, again, the devil took him to a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and said, hey, just bow down to me, and all this could be yours. That's possessions. You could have all the, all the gold, all the treasure of the world. You name it, I'll give it to you, because I am the prince of this world, and I, I can give that to you. And I love that he doesn't buy into it. And then as soon as... He's done. It says the devil had to leave to him, but he says he waits for an opportune time. And so the enemy has been waiting for an opportune time and he's tempting you and I in the same way. In fact, fast forward now, 
Jesus has been dead, crucified, and resurrected in 1 John 2.15. John, who had a bird's eye view of the life of Jesus, he says this, pleasure, possessions, pride. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. In other words, like one of my favorite definitions of worship is love expressed. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, pleasure, possessions, pride comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world, listen to me, the world and its desires, all those things in our life that we love a little bit too much, those things are going to pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. And so in a moment, the worship team is going to sing another worship song. And as they do that, here's what I want you to do. I want you to come to the altar. And this is a moment for you to sift your heart and pray a prayer like David prayed. Lord, search me and know me. See if there's any wicked way in me. In other words, have I allowed something into my heart that is getting in the way of my worship? And I can tell you this as a pastor, being a pastor for 10 years now, there isn't a person that I met that there isn't usually one or two things in our lives that get in the way of us fully surrendering to God and that the enemy uses to keep us in a prison of guilt and shame and holds us back from really having this intimate, close relationship with God. It's messing with you. And here's the answer. Consecrate yourself. Consecration is when I, I give myself to God, I set myself apart from God. It's a time of cleansing and purifying. And if there, I'm telling you, I believe that God is in this hour. The Holy Spirit told me it's time to open up back the altars because I wanna clean up my church. I wanna clean up my people so I can pour my spirit out on the church for these end times, that it would be a church, not just with words, but a church of power. Man, and we need more power to live an altered life, don't we? Here's the last verse, and I'm gonna call you to come, and the worship team can come prepare. It's out of Joshua chapter seven, verse 13. Now, the Israelites, listen, don't be distracted. They're in the promised land now, and they already defeated Jericho, and they're feeling pretty good about themselves. And God told them, don't take any of the consecrated things in their, uh, on their altars or in their temples of worship to other gods. Don't take any of it. Leave it. It's defiled. But one dude, one guy, sneaks a little idol, puts it in his bag, puts it in his tent, and then they go off to fight the next battle. And guess what? They get utterly destroyed. And they're like, hey, what's going on, God? You said you'd give us this land. You said you would defeat the enemies. And this is why for some of us, we're not seeing victory in our lives and we're wondering, God, what's happening? I read your word and I'm promised victory, yet I don't see it in our lives. And this is what God says to tell Joshua to tell the people, listen, go consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in what? In preparation for tomorrow. Earlier he would say, Tomorrow I will do amazing things among you. For this is what the Lord God of Israel says. Listen, you got to get this. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. The altar of consecration is where you remove them. So we've got paper and pens up here, and you might have been wondering what this is all about. 
You see all of them at the cross right there. What you're gonna do is the worship team leads us in the song. You're gonna come to the altar of consecration and you're gonna write down something that you're gonna give to God out of your heart that doesn't belong there. That's getting in the way, that's messing with you. It could be a sin, it could be an addiction, it could be a broken relationship, it could be pride, possessions, whatever it is. You just take a moment before you come and you don't have to. You only do it if you want to do this. But when you're ready, you come, write that thing down and put it at the foot of the cross. We also have pen and paper in the back for those of you in the back at, set up at some tables so that you can uh, easily just go back there. But just come when you're ready. Oh, oh, you can have my heart. Have my heart. Oh, oh, you can have my heart. You can have my There's no need in me pretending I'll give you everything I'll give you everything You deserve my full attention Nothing less than my devotion Speak to me and I will listen. I'll give you everything. I'll give you everything. Whoa, whoa. You can have my heart. You can have my heart. Yes, oh. selfish motives search me till there's nothing hidden I'll give you everything I'll give you
consecrate ourselves to you. We ask that you would come and cleanse us of all and anything that is in the way of fully worshiping you and living a life of surrender to you, God. God, I pray for every single piece of paper, those things that are written down on their their things in our heart that we and your people have surrendered and put on the altar of consecration. I pray right now that every principality, every power would be broken in the name of Jesus. Through the blood of Jesus and his sacrifice. In your name, amen. Amen. The second altar I want to talk to you about is the altar of thanksgiving. It's a place of thanksgiving. You see, I think for a lot of us, the longer we're Christians, just like I think about being married for 27, going on 28 years, and one of the challenges with being married that long is over time, you can tend to take your spouse for granted. And you could tend to not see the good qualities in them anymore like you did in the very beginning when you first fell in love and you, you were googly-eyed and you just thought they're so amazing and they hung the moon and, and all you saw was the good. And then you get married and you start doing life and, you know, you start to see their weaknesses. And, and yet over time, we start to take for granted the good things and we start not seeing the good things and we start to only see the bad things anymore. And for a lot of us, the same thing can happen in our relationship with God. And this is why I believe a lot of us can get disgruntled in our relationship with God and even in our faith. And 
People's faith is getting deconstructed. And why? It's because they've lost sight of the goodness of God and the greatness of God and the awe of God. And we're no different as believers. In fact, the Apostle Paul is starting out in Romans chapter 1. And we're going we're to get into Romans chapter 1 because I believe we're in danger of living in that same type of culture. And as the church, we have to be careful. He says this in Romans chapter 1 verse 21. For although they knew God, so these, he's not talking to people who, outside the church. He's not talking to people that don't know God. He's talking about people who have been set free by the blood of Jesus, that they have been saved, full of grace, full of the Holy Spirit, that God has been faithful. He's provided for you. Sometimes, some of us, he, he's made water come out of a rock when we were dry and thirsty. God showed up and he took care of us. He poured out his spirit in us. When we thought our marriages were on the rocks, maybe headed for divorce, he showed up and he brought healing. Some of us, we've had physical things in our lives and God showed up and did a miracle. There were times when we didn't know how we were going to pay our bills. And, and all of a sudden we get a check in the mail. Somebody shows up and gives us something. God has been faithful God has set some of us free from addiction and brokenness and hurt. And God help us, some of us have gone through some horrific things in your life that the enemy has tried to use to alter your life in a different way, to take you away from God. And yet God in his sovereignty said, no, you're mine. I'm not letting you go. And he's holding on to you with the grip of grace. And yet we have this tendency to forget it was, it was awesome. I was having lunch with uh, my spiritual father. And uh, we were having lunch, and he was talking to me about this very thing. He said, I was challenged because he was reading about the memorial stones in the Old Testament. And actually, in the Old Testament, there were times where God commanded people to build an altar and to pick up stones from the place that he met them and sovereignly showed up and did a miracle in their life. And there was a purpose for it. In fact, when, when he led the Israelites into the promised land, when they, when they got to the other side, and the only people that were standing, still left, were the people that, the priests that were holding the ark, and the ark of God represented the very presence of God because God did a miracle. You see, the water was at flood stage. It was the spring. Water was at flood stage. It means it was raging, which meant there was no way for them to walk into, step into, to obtain to take possession of the promise that God had given them, that they had believed in faith for. And I believe that there's some of us in this room that there are promises over your life that you believe for, and God at times has showed up and done a miracle. He's made a way where there seems to be no way. Just like he did on that day, he parted the waters of the Jordan. He made them stand up still so that they could walk through on dry ground and possess the promise. But this is interesting. When they got to the other side, God commanded Joshua. He told them, take 12 stones, one for each of the tribes of Israel, and tell them to go into the water or the dry land and to pick up a stone and bring it with them into the promised land. And he would use those stones to build an altar as a memorial to the Lord of gratitude and thanksgiving. And he says, I want you to do something. And here, listen to me, parents. I had a, a conversation with my daughter over lunch. It was one of those precious conversations. She's 21 years old now, and so when you get FaceTime like that, it's just good moments. 
And she was asking me questions about how I became a pastor, how I got into business. And I got to tell her about how God showed up at certain times and was just so faithful and made a way where there seemed to be no way. And she's like, wow, Dad, I never knew that about you. And so God tells them to pick up these stones, and he commands them. He says, I want you to build an altar with these stones, and he called them memorial stones, so that every time that you pass by, you tell your children and your children's children, this is where God showed up. This is where a miracle happened. This is where God parted the Jordan River so that we can obtain the promises that, and the favor and the blessing that now you get to have as an inheritance that you would never have if God didn't do that. And I'm telling you, we need to tell the next generation about the miracles God has done. We need to remind them of the faithfulness and the goodness of God. There's a reason that so many of them are walking away from the faith is because nobody's telling them. God is amazing. Let me tell you what he's done in my life. Because it stirs their faith to believe that God can do it for them. And we need to do it too. So when we come to the altar of thanksgiving, we're coming and we're remembering my, my spiritual father was telling me, I read about these memorial stones, and so I was up in the middle of the night, and I just started making a list of all the times God showed up in my life and did something amazing. He said the list just started with four, five, six, seven. He just texted me the other day. He's like, I'm up to 74 and counting. And he challenged me to do the same thing, and I started thinking back. You know what one of those memorial stones for me is thinking about 10 years ago my wife and I and our family and young then stood on this stage and we were set in as pastors of this church and my family threw, f flew in from all over the U.S. to come and be with us for that moment and it was such a special time and my Aunt Rita, my praying aunt who was just here for a week and just now she's praying for my kids and I'm so grateful but she wrote on this card and she gave it to my wife and I, something I'll never forget. It was a quote from Jim Elliott. If you guys could put that quote up. And it was this quote that says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain which he cannot lose. And we kept it on our mirror as a reminder that there's a lot of things that I could keep to myself and I could use, possessions, money, all the things that I had and that God was blessing me with that I gave up to do this, but it was a reminder. Man, there's a treasure in heaven waiting on the other side. We're going to lose all this stuff on earth, but the things we take with us, they're invaluable. There is, there's no price tag on a life lived for eternity in the presence of God, in the goodness of God, in the faithfulness of God. So here, when we come just in a moment to the altar of thanksgiving, there's two things that I want to ask you to consider. Two responses. It's called thanksgiving. And in fact, in the Old Testament, people at times would come to an altar and they would, unlike once a year when they would sacrifice things to make atonement for sin, they would come to the altar simply with a, 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 a they call it a sacrifice of, of thanksgiving thanksgiving, thankfulness, a thank offering is what they called it. And it was when people came, not out of obligation to make atonement for sin, but just to say, God, I'm just so grateful. You're in my life. I've come to the altar to thank you. 
And so the two responses that we're going to have is we're going to come and we're going to worship him with our mouth and with our hands. We're going to tell him how grateful for we are at this altar. But if you noticed, we didn't take up an offering earlier, and that was by design. Because we're not just going to give him thanks with our mouth. We're going to give something tangible. We're going to give out of our possessions. And so this is an opportunity. And now if you're visiting here, if you don't want to partake in this, we don't need your money. This isn't about that. This is about you saying, God, you can have my heart. And that means you can have my money. You can have my house, my camper, my four-wheeler, my Tesla, whatever it might be. My 401k, it's all yours. And I'm going to show who's first place. I'm going to tell the devil, you got no hold on me. Because I'm going to give out of my heart of gratitude to God because my life is in his hands and he's been good to me. He's taking care of me. I'm not lacking. I trust him. Look at 2 Corinthians 9, 7, then you could come up. It says this in the Amplified Classic. It says, let each one give as he is made up in his own mind and purposed in his heart. This isn't God telling you give a tithe. Yes, you need to do that as an act of worship. But this is, hey, what's in your heart that you're grateful for that you're going to give something to God? I love that. And he says, let each who is made up in your mind and purposed in his heart, not reluctantly or sorrowfully or under compulsion for God loves. Listen, he takes pleasure in prizes above all things and is unwilling to abandon to do without a cheerful, a joyous, prompt to do it giver whose heart is in the giving. So now don't come because everybody else is coming and you feel obligated and oh, it's awkward if I don't go up and give something. No, no, don't do that. That's not pleasing to God. What is pleasing is when you say, God, I'm just, I'm so grateful. I'm giving this as an act of worship to you. So your response at the altar of thanksgiving is you're going to come and you're going to give and the ushers are going to come forward. They're going to set some buckets up here on the stage and you're going to come to the altar and you're going to give what is in your heart cheerfully and then you're going to stop and take a moment, maybe a, a few moments, and worship him with your lips out of that heart of gratitude. Come when you're ready.
in my life. And there was four amazing things that happened at the moment that Jesus surrendered his life with his final breath and said those words. There was an earthquake, the ground shook, people that were dead came out of their graves. It's kind of freaky, but kind of cool all at the same time. Uncle Tom, where you been? <laughs> Went out to get milk, haven't seen you in five years. There was a massive thunderstorm. And the final thing, to me, is the coolest. You see, the veil that was like a couple of feet thick and I forget how many feet tall, in the very temple of God, the house of worship, that separated the common people like you and me from the very presence of God. See, in the Old Testament, they had to sacrifice an unblemished animal for the forgiveness and the atonement of sin just to worship God. So aren't you so grateful that when you came to church this morning, you didn't have to bring your unblemished goat and sacrifice it on an altar out in the lobby before you came into the place of worship where you can encounter the very presence of God. But they still had to do that. But yet when Jesus finished his mission and he said, it is finished, the price has been paid in full. That veil tore in two, and it signified there is nothing holding you and I back from encountering the very presence of God in our lives. And yet, for many of us, we come to church, we go to work, we get up in the morning, and we have the, this guilt and this shame and this condemnation over us that the enemy has been using as a prison to prevent you from coming into communion with Christ. Communion means that as believers, we have this common union together and we have this union with Christ, that we are one with him, that we get to wake up every day and say, good morning, Jesus. Thank you for your presence being with me. Thank you for your presence in my life. It's the place where we get to commune and just be with God. That we don't have to do anything for God. We get to just be with him. We get to pray. We get to seek his face. We get to experience the goodness of his blessing and his favor on our life. And it's all because of what Jesus did. His death, his resurrection. And I want to read this to you in Hebrews 10, 14, and then we'll come and receive the elements. And I'm not sure if we have some of the elements in the back or just in the front. We have them in the back for you and in the front. But I want to read this to you. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, in the Amplified Classic, it says this, For by a single offering he has forever, 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 ever, ever, forever completely cleansed and perfected those who are what? Consecrated. For those who have said, I'm setting my life apart, I'm laying it on the altar, I'm yours, God, Christ comes into your life and by his sacrifice on the cross, he has perfected you. You're perfect in God's eyes because he doesn't see you. He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see our jacked up flesh. He sees his perfect son because Jesus said, I'll take your place and went to the cross and died as you for you. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect those for whoever who are being made holy so you are perfect, you're holy, and you're being continually made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, 
This is the covenant. In other words, this is the promise. This is the new agreement. Just like on the night that Jesus was betrayed, when he held up the cup, he said, this is my blood that will be shed for you. This is the new covenant of my blood. It's the new agreement. It's the new promise. It says, I will make with you at that time, says the Lord, I will, listen, I will put my laws in your heart. So you're not going to have to try to do right. I'm going to put it in your heart to do right. I'm going to change your heart. In fact, in the Old Testament, you'd say it like this. I'm going to take out your heart of stone because of all the sin and all the things in your past that you, you've, you've compromised and your heart just grew a little bit colder, a little bit harder. If you'll consecrate yourself to me, I'm going to take that heart of stone and I'm going to put in you a heart of flesh that's tender, that's soft, that's responsive to my Holy Spirit prompting and leading in your life. This is the covenant. Verse 17, then he adds, their sins and lawless acts. Listen, I will remember no more. In fact, he would say, as far as the east is from the west, I don't remember them. I know you do, and I know the enemy tries to keep reminding you of all of them, but I don't remember them. And he says, and where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. In other words, you don't have to do that to blood, goats and cows and stuff anymore. And here it is. Here's the therefore. Because of everything I just said, now this is the result. Brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, confidence, boldness, to enter into the most holy place by the blood of Jesus and by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is Jesus' body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled um, to cleanse us from the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. What does this mean, Pastor Lentz? It means that you and I, we can come to the altar of communion with boldness, knowing that we're free and we're forgiven. And now that opens up a new and living way for me to live my life where I'm in communion with Jesus. He's living inside of me. I don't have to be under this cloud of condemnation. In fact, now, therefore, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus for what the law was powerless to do, what rules were, what religion were powerless to do, Christ did. It's finished. It's done. It's dealt with. Don't allow the enemy. And this is what too many people... They live their life in guilt and shame and condemnation, not coming into the very presence of God, which we need most because the enemy's just got you convinced. God's mad at you. He's mad at you. He doesn't like you. Look at you, the way you live. And we forget it's finished. The price is paid. There's a way opened up for you. So as you come to receive communion, I want you to not only remember the sacrifice that Jesus made, but I want you to come boldly into the presence. This is the place where we get to encounter the very presence of God. This is the place. These are moments that mark us. These are moments that we said, man, I encountered God at that altar of communion and I'll never be the same. So take a moment. And when you're ready, you can come and get the elements in the front or in the back. Take them back to your seat. Take it whenever you're ready and worship God with us.
forgive us for letting anything get between you and I. I pray that this would be more than a service, but this would become an altered life. That we would live a life of surrender and a life of worship. Giving thanks to you. Repenting of anything that's in the way. And having daily communion with you. Father, I pray, would you help us Holy Spirit, would you come and help us live an altered life? In Jesus' name, amen. As we close our service, I just want to encourage you two things real quick. Number one is if you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you've been at the service, maybe you came with a friend, I just want to encourage you, take a moment and ask God to come into your life. Ask him to forgive you. What you just did, if you participated, is a surrendered life. It's getting forgiven of your sin. It's giving him thanks. It's inviting him into your life. But I'd encourage you to come. We have an amazing prayer team that are going to be over here to my left, to your right. Pray with somebody. Seal that in your heart to follow Jesus. Secondly, these three altars, there's something that can be a part of our and should be a part of our life every day. That living an altered life means that we live a life of repentance, that we ask for forgiveness daily. Anything that we kind of sift our heart, ask the Holy Spirit to come and sift our heart and, and ask God to forgive us of anything that's gotten in the way. And that we would give God thanks and praise, that we would live a life of worship. And finally, that we would live daily in communion with Jesus, that we would take time to just be with him, spend time in his word, spend time in prayer and communion with him. Live an altered life. Amen. Thank you.